What's going on, family? It's King Sick back for another episode of Get On Code. And if you don't know the code, boy, you're in the right place today. So the code essentially is not actually something that I take credit for. It belongs to a man by the name of Neely Fuller Jr. He has a beautiful book. Please go check it out. Um, it's the compensatory code uh, to essentially counter racism. Uh, and Mr. Fuller believes in a code and, and, and espouses a code that to some great degree inspired even Dr. Francis Cross Wilson, uh, one of our greatest uh, black intellectuals. Uh, and so essentially what the code is, the code shows you that the nine uh, and some say 10 areas, if you include healthcare, uh, of people activity, so things that people do interact uh, things that control daily, day-to-day life and day-to-day functions. These things are controlled and dominated by the system of white supremacy and manipulated as well. And so, you know, the things are such as language, law, education, entertainment, uh, and so on and so forth. And when you look at all of the areas of people activity and you see that, yes, they all have that common thread, that these are places, whether it's in the media uh, and something racist happened and it was a member of the media who did it or a news agency who allowed it or ran the story or did whatever it was, but essentially it was the media. Or you have those incidences like with the Gucci sweater uh, and fashion becomes racist, either for not having blacks on cover or the way they were depicted when they were uh, in the magazines, whether they're print or online, etc., the way black people uh, and black life is presented was was somehow racist um, or not included or or underpaid but in some ways obviously under the, the control of white supremacy and so when you look at the different areas like sport with Colin Kaepernick gets on a knee and it causes such a backlash and an outrage and so there we have in sports we see that it is dominated and controlled uh, by white males specifically and obviously white supremacy um, and so what other examples uh, can you use? Tuskegee experiment, where people systematically, uh, you know, were essentially used as guinea pigs. You can go back to the origin of gyne uh, the, the gynecology uh, field of study. Um, you know, slave women were abused in such horrible ways that you, you wouldn't even want to describe or think of. And so that literally led to the beginning of an entire discipline of medicine, um, was these poor, unfortunate enslaved women who had... <laughs> You know, obviously no choice but to be essentially, again, guinea pigs. So when you look at all of the areas um, of people activity and all of these examples that I've given you, um, you'll see that you, when you live in a dynamic that seems to have a code to oppress you, well, then it is definitely incumbent upon the people who are being oppressed that one must respond with a code um, as well. Because to be in a system that has codified behavior and not have codified behavior, obviously the system, you know, essentially is going to swallow you up. Um, you know, now there might be some lucky ones who don't follow a code, who slip through the cracks, win a lottery, scratch off after being a bum outside of a gas station for 10 years. I don't know. Um, but for the most part, if a system is acting in code, even that person who may slip through the cracks and be the one in a million who get out of these 
impoverished circumstances and conditions of racism and what they do to people's communities, uh, neighborhoods, and oftentimes in places like Chicago and Baltimore, whole cities of people are affected by crime and drugs and just the second-class citizenship that is black citizenship in the United States of America Corporation. So when you take this control that is wielded over black people, African people, people of color, etc., and you kind of put it into this codified language and you respond to it or you understand it as such. And so when you see these microaggressions, whether it's uh, the Botham Jean case where the judge, you know, got out of line, there was a sheriff's deputy who seemed to um, do things that were unbecoming of a sheriff's deputy, at least where, I, where I've seen them treat their own people, uh, black folks. Uh, and that's not to even to include the brother of Botham Jean uh, and the way that he responded to the murderer Amber Geiger, uh, disgraced former police officer, and went over and, and gave her this celebratory hug as if to say, you know, this great weight is lifted off my shoulder because I don't hate you for murdering my brother for no reason at all. Now, if that was a personal thing, that a personal moment that they maybe have enjoyed behind closed doors or you know, something of that nature, that'd be different. But for it to be during this, you know, this spectacle that was this trial, I really feel sorry for, you know, all black people having to watch that because that is, that's racial battle fatigue. That's racial battle fatigue when you see people uh, do things that just don't make, they're inexplicable. Inexplicable. There would be so much of a great undertone of racial hatred towards a black officer if the roles were reversed. You know, in the minds of white supremacy, they would really reconsider hiring the next black officer, you know, because at the end of the day, this is a place where they have centralized and localized white supremacy power. They are the enforcement arm of white supremacy. And so, again, the code uh, is very important when it comes to people understanding how to navigate this world of racism. It, it'll definitely inspire you to ask more questions because we as African people, we don't ask enough questions. Why is this New Year's Day? How many years, 2020 AD, after the death of the person that they gave you during slavery, right? The story that they gave you during slavery, the timeline that fits a white supremacist narrative, in essence, that it seems to mute all of the great historical past of Kemet, Nubia, Kush, uh, and other places in East and West, South and Central Africa. You see, and even the correlation to the Amer- <clears throat> excuse me to the Americas. Um, that is as historical as anything else when you consider the Olmecs, etc., etc., uh, being the progenitors of people like the Aztecs, the Mayas, and the Incas, who we praise because they're uh, a little bit more, you know, long straight hair as opposed to nappy kinky hair. Still dark people, but a little bit more pleasing and a little bit more friendly to the narrative of white supremacy that you Africans have not contributed anything uh, to the world. And so that is the, the beauty of saying that this is New Year's, is you're accepting the fact, essentially, that Africans have contributed nothing. We, we don't have the calendar. The calendar has gone from an African calendar, uh, an Egyptian Kemetic calendar, 
to a Greek calendar, to a Roman calendar, to a Julian calendar, and uh, you know, all of these different people have taken over the calendar to now the Gregorian calendar. That comes from essentially Rome, which is essentially the Byzantine Empire, right? And so when you understand that Rome came after the fall of the Byzantine Empire and they were forced to essentially retreat their, their power base of the Byzantine to Rome and then established really the strength of the church from Rome and the Vatican uh, itself. And so people have to understand that there was a time when Rome had actually colonized Britain at that time. It was called B-R-I-T-O-N. Now Great Britain is who these folks are. And so the ultimate colonizers historically being the Greco-Romans um, and for them to essentially colonize the Britons, B-R-I-T-O-N-S, who were a ready looking people, much darker um, than what we perceive the predecessors of the Britons to be. And so if you are one of those fortunate people who've heard stories that the um, original people of Europe were, were black, or the original people of Britain were black or England were black, this is where this, this comes from. And it's very much true. Uh, so when you look at the history here of the colonization of the Romans of the Britons, you know, there are great stories from history to draw on. I always like to look at Tacitus and Calgacus because in the story, essentially what was being, what was being kind of um, given to the audience was this is that when you are oppressing someone, sure, I mean, it's obvious we're oppressing you. And so we have to allow for a certain amount of resistance to kind of allow the people's emotions to bubble and, and for them to get out that little bit of frustration because we are oppressing them and they know this. But if we control the aggression, if we give them a message in such a way that we allow for a MLK or a Malcolm X or an Elijah Muhammad or a Marcus Garvey to incite people just a little. It's good as long as we control it, but it's bad when the people could essentially um, control and contain their own emotions and take them in directions in which white supremacy cannot control. That's what you know. white supremacy cannot have, is a movement of black people that is organic of the people because then that they don't control. And so Again, going back to the code, that's why when we discuss black celebrities and some of the, you know, essentially agendas that you see black celebrities pushing uh, or stories that they're involved in and the narratives that kind of fall from them, whether it's the Deontay Wilder fallout and the sort of racial undertone that that's taken, uh, although there was racial undertones to it from, you know, when he said to this day. And I think a lot of people have, you know, kind of neglected to mention the fact that, you know, this was about race to a certain extent. Um, and in the fallout, I think that what has happened is, is that Deontay Wilder didn't put in the work. He did not grow mature. He didn't add anything on to his game. He went into a fight, the same fighter he was when he walked out of the last fight with the same guy he fought. Right. And so at the end of the day, what you have to understand is that when you look at this from a perspective of a code, the code allows us to see through all of this mud on issues like this. It allows us to see through the agenda of things like the Glenn, excuse me, the Gail Kings and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world. Um, it allows us to see through the cloudy 
the cloudy uh, uh, glass uh, when we're dealing with issues like the knackers uh, of LA, the LA knackers. So what we have is to really adopt this codified thinking and this codified paper, this behavior, and it's not something that's written down necessarily on paper. It's, of course, Mr. Neely Fuller has this book, but it's just an understanding of white supremacy and how it functions. You know, a white person says something like, yeah, I have a black this or a black friend or, you know, somehow proximity to blackness makes you a non-racist. So whatever the racist thing is that you just said, now you're going to clean it up like Clorox with saying, I am this close to black people. And they don't say the, 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 the blank that's after that, which is, so I can't be racist. When they say, they might say something racist, well, why does her hair look like that anyway? So if they wanted to cut it off, well, if the hair doesn't look nice, well, you don't know the cultural importance of the hair and this and that, and you, and you potentially shouldn't even say anything in the debate is what someone would say right how dare you and again we go back to the proximity of blackness well i have a black friend named so and so and they said and this and that so i can't be racist i'm saying what a black person said there's another that you know that white folks will use when in a situation where their racist behavior has been called out or they have been you know essentially exposed as as having these racist tendencies, which is completely normal for white people to have. It is completely normal for a white individual to have racist concepts and ideas about black people. Why? Well, hell, if the things that you see on TV that, that black people get all upset about, there are thousands more that are so subtle that even black folks didn't know that there was an agenda with a movie like Color Purple, where we take Danny Glover and essentially we pluck him in in the place of the white slave master who had been doing all of those sexually deviant, disgusting, foul, and invasive uh, violations of black womanhood since they showed up on the shores and began this dynamic and began this relationship. And so in order to psychologically remove the blame or the guilt or the, the antipathy that black women would feel towards white men to further their agenda and separation of black consciousness between the female consciousness and the male consciousness, um, this was kind of the, the final stone um, that had to be removed from the foundation of the black family psychologically. Right. Of course, there are still, you know, healthy black relationships that exist. But in the masses, you can see, you know, through the statistics and see the numbers of children who were born in two parent homes, you know, way back when and then now today. And it's a dramatic um, increase in single parent homes. I think something like seven percent of African-American children born in 1960, 64 uh, were born to two parent homes. And currently it's about 63 percent. Uh, of homes uh, are single mothers raising children. Children are born to homes of single mothers 60-something percent of the time. So it's just a drastic, you know, exponential increase. And so you go back to the code and why it's important to supplant this white guilt and this white face from these stories. That's a part of the code. 
And so when you look and you see now black women and black men online and social media spaces and even maybe in real life having these debates and these back and forths about what black man ain't doing and what black woman ain't doing. But we're not talking about Jimmy's and Joe's. We're talking about, you know, these hypothetical situations. We're talking these statistics. That's what we're talking. We're not talking boots on the ground because you show me your local high school, your local junior high, your local elementary school, your local basketball and all the different little sports. Now, let's go out there. And, man, who are these daddies out here? Who are all these men that's coaching these games, that's posting these videos, that's out here with their sons? Come on, there are too many, there are too many fathers out here putting in work. There are too many dudes who couldn't play basketball nearly as good as Kobe Bryant and they was coaching basketball, flying all over the place with these kids for years. And we haven't given credit to black men uh, for being in the lives of a lot of these athletes, a lot of these kids, you know. And it's just, it's really an agenda to take consciously the contributions of black men and, conti and continually and consistently minimize them because they have been on an economic scale in the 60s. Uh, 50s and 60s, when you could see the decline of the black industrial inner cities and factories and places that had been the backbone, essentially, of the migration north for black folks. So when you see the depressed conditions of a lot of the places up north, uh, you know, Philly and Baltimore, um, Detroit, um, uh, Flint, Michigan, and a lot of other places that you know were making a lot of money whether it was through the automakers or tire makers or steel and other industries that black black folks was working these jobs this is how they had got those homes those places that they were living a lot of times when you look back at those stories of the civil rights movement and the sisters had on nice dresses and even had nice little cars sometimes you know nice little hats they wore to church with the white gloves they had nice furniture in the home when they would go in and interview these black families. And so we have to understand that this is how our people were climbing into the middle class. So as those jobs began to divest, divest out of our communities and go overseas to places like Korea, Taiwan, China, Vietnam, that's when you begin to see also a migration of those folks to this country living better than ADOS, Foundation of Black Americans, living better than the African Americans who are here, even those from the diaspora that may have moved to America who don't have lineage necessarily to America uh, uh, or American slavery and Jim Crow. But the point is, is that this code of white supremacy has operated as such that it has created this divide between black men and black women that now today is so wide, it's about as wide as the racial wealth gap. But then when you take and walk it back, you have to say to yourself, 86% of black men are married to black women. So hold up. That's, that's insane when you, when you look back and you think that still black woman, 86% of the time, the man who's going to keep you for life is a black man that we are out here beating to hell. And black women are the least married women in our society. And yet and still, the man who marries you the most, 
90% of the time at my last check was black men. So we're, we're committing um, generational suicide when we continue to allow the code of white supremacy and the codified nature of white supremacy to be the way that we then think and then react to one another. We can't allow external forces to be essentially what we have in as fuel in our minds and our brains is what has been pumped into there by external forces and sources because it will always be to manipulate you. People aren't going to waste their time trying to get you to think something if it's going to be beneficial for you and your people. We live in a competitive environment. And I think black people understand that when they're in the hood, being competitive, um, you know, over streets and turfs and territories, but when facing the one system that has proven to be undefeated against your black black, black cells, uh, we completely don't even pay them any attention. We will ride down the street and be like, ain't that the songs? That's the boys from what's the name side of town? Yeah. They had did this thing to the homeboy so-and-so-and-so. And so now we're going to ride on them. But the whole entire community that you're living in that's so depressed and so disgusting that you have nothing better to do than to war and feud with other poor people who are also being oppressed in the very same messed up conditions under the same male-less environment where the black man has been systematically removed from your community, systematically by the government removed from your community, systematically. The system did it. And the system did it in, in a compassionate effort, so to speak, or at least that was the attempt, and that's what it was supposed to, to come across as to us, and obviously it did. We fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. That man, because the black man can't get a job, what we need to do is create these housing projects and, you know, these tenement buildings. And what we'll do is we'll just, you know, let the women and the children live there and let the men fend for themselves. So somehow we thought that the best social service that we could offer to a family was to find ways to separate that family. And if we don't continue to, to say that out loud, we will continue to blame ourselves for a place that we exist on a hierarchy of socialization that we had no control of. We had control. We had control. But once we gave ourselves to the Democratic Party, once we gave ourselves to the white liberals who essentially said, if you vote for us, we'll stop lynching you, um, you know, the lynching became different. And it's just a different lynching. And so we have to wake up. Uh, election 2020 is around the corner. We have to continue to gain a political education. We have to continue to go into our communities and ask ourselves, is the ballot going to cut that lady's grass across the street? Is the ballot going to put new paint on the business that's been in our community for 20 or 30 years? Is the ballot going to make uh, create a fund for small businesses to be able to thrive in places that other businesses from other communities exist and are making uh, a, a very handsome reward for their location uh, and also the the financing that is behind their building and, and uh, the edifice itself. And it just 
creates an experience for the consumer where it's a no-brainer. Do I want to go look at some depressed building that was built in the 40s and 50s when black folks had some unity about themselves and has now been run down? Or do I want to go to this brand new brick building that looks, you know, obviously we, we know what choice a person is going to make. So get on code. Uh, I wanted to break down the code uh, so people really understand where I'm coming from. Again, check out the book, Neely Fuller Jr. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. Sending nothing but love vibrations to the people. Stay in your higher self. Resist the temptations of the lower self. Remove yourself from people and individuals around you that are trying to drag you into a lower self mentality and condition. Your spirit is all you have. We're trying to raise our frequency and raise our vibration as a people. And the only way we can do that is we have to turn off the garbage and we have to plug in with some real gas. And that's global African supremacy. And when you plug into some gas and get off of that banana fuel and get off of that, that crackatosis and that niggeritis that we seem to be suffering from, my brother said he says all the time, I think we, we will be going in a positive direction. Love, family. Make sure you check me out on Facebook at King Sick, at K-I-N-G-S-I-I-K, on YouTube. Catch me at Sick Music, S I I K M U Z I K, at King Sick on Reverb Nation and SoundCloud, X King Sick X on Twitter.com. Get on code, stay in the movement.